Father, as we just sang, would you please speak to us by your spirit? <clears throat> In Jesus' name, amen. So why is God allowing bad things to happen to his people? Why is he allowing that? If God is sovereign and loving, why would he allow such terrible things to happen? I'm not talking about the world, but I'm talking about his people. The people he calls his people, his church. Now, like it or not, and if whether or not we are honest about this, sometimes we do have questions like that. We have questions like that about the world, but that is not what I'm concerned with. But what is more confusing is that we have questions like that about the Christian church, his people, when persecution breaks out in some parts of the world, when things happen. Uh, it is always very, very important that in the midst of these things, you keep your eyes fixed on God's vision, the big picture of what God is about in the world. So you would see that so far in the, in the church, in Acts, the church has been enjoying some really, really good times. They have seen tremendous growth. When it started, there were 3,000 people who came to the Lord. And then there were all these people who were flooding into the church. And it's been good so far. The fellowship has been great. But everything is going on in Jerusalem. Everything is happening there in Jerusalem. But you recollect that the vision of the Lord from Acts chapter 8, please uh, turn to the passage. We probably didn't read it. We didn't. But anyway, Acts chapter 8 and um, verse 26 to the very end, verse 40. Just keep, keep um, your Bible open there. So as I said, the church has been enjoying some really good time. The, the fellowship is great, but everything is in Jerusalem. But if you will recollect, if you keep your eyes on Acts, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, if you keep your mind there as you go through the book of Acts, God's vision has always been that, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jude Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So his vision is that the gospel is going to travel. It will travel from Jerusalem. It will go to all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. But until some point in Acts, before Acts 7, the fellowship is sweet. So the church is huddling together. They are together. But the Lord wants this sweetness, whatever that is, to spread to the very ends of the earth through these believers. And he would remind them that you were brought into to belong to God's people so that through you, God will bring others in. And so you remember, Acts 7, persecution broke out because Stephen preached the gospel and the religious people didn't like it. And that led to his killing. And so by Acts 8, something is happening. The persecution has scattered the church. Why is this happening? Well, we will see they have scattered. 
And one of such people who were among the scattered was a brother named Philip. Philip was a colleague of Stephen. He was also a deacon that was appointed. And Stephen, uh, Philip had also run away. He had also fled Jerusalem. And he finds himself in a place called Samaria. Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. And what is he doing in Samaria? He is proclaiming the Messiah. He is preaching the Christ. And so here in Samaria, we see that God's purposes has been accomplished. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Here we are. The gospel is penetrating Samaria as well because Philip and others have gone to this place. The gospel is bringing even Samaritans. Now, you remember, it's not the first time the Samaritans have actually had this encounter. During Jesus' day, you remember the woman at the well, the Samaritan. Those people that the Jews considered, you are not proper Jews. You have Jews. You're mixed people. God says, I welcome them to, and through Philip's preaching, the kingdom of God has broken in, in Samaria, in some incredible ways. And last week, we heard about Simon. Simon, the magician, who called himself great. And the story that followed, he was also there. And so we see the word of the Lord spreading. It is taking Samaria too. And very soon, he's going to give us indication that it is taking over the whole wide world. Because that is what the king wants it to do. So, from Acts chapter 8 and verse 26 to 40, let me mention four things. Four things from this passage. Number one, the spirit is on the move. Number two, the servant here, Philip, is on the move. The spirit on the move the servant on the move. Number three, the Ethiopian on the move. And number four, you and I on the move. So let's take the first one, the spirit on the move. So in reaching out with the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit has to lead and the spirit has to direct. If the gospel is going to reach where God wants it to reach, God, the Holy Spirit, has to lead and he has to direct. Otherwise, there will be no gospel fruits. We will be fighting in vain. God himself must be on the move in a particular direction. Otherwise, we go in our own direction, irrespective of the clarity of our vision and mission statement and strategy. There is no fruit. Fruit that leads into eternity. The spirit has to lead. The spirit is the chief strategist and he is the chief evangelist. Nobody is an evangelist as much and as more than God the Holy Spirit. And he knows the strategy of all strategies. So look with me. Verse, 20, verse 26 of chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. 
verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, don't confuse to start with the angel of the Lord and then the spirit. What Luke wants us to see is that God is the initiator. God is the one leading. God is the one directing. And he's doing that by his spirits. And perhaps we are being reminded that the success in the mission of God of any local church, any Christian organization that is focused on reaching out to people and making disciples, the success of any of these is ultimately dependent on God himself being at work and leading and directing. If we don't realize that, we will use manipulative means to get things done. The Spirit of God has to be at work, and we have to be following what the Spirit does. Everything is fully, ultimately dependent on the leading, guiding, and directing of the Spirit. Does that mean we shouldn't have a vision statement? We have one. Does that mean we shouldn't have a mission statement? We have one. Does that mean we shouldn't think of some sort of strategy? I think we have something. But we've got to be aware that no matter how clear and how fine this may be, unless God the Holy Spirit is at work and leading and directing, we will be wasting our time. And so here we see the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, God is leading and directing Philip. Go near the chariot, stay there, don't go ahead of it. I'm going to show you what to do. And so where in this passage is the Spirit leading Philip? What is he really doing? What does the Spirit want to do? Now, this is what he wants to do. He wants Philip to move towards the Spirit's desire. It's very interesting that he didn't tell Philip everything. He says, just move close to this chariot. That's it. And then the next will follow. The Spirit wants to move Philip to God's purpose, desired purpose, the destination, which we will see in a minute. And so the spirit on the move, now we see the servant of the Lord being moved. So the second point, the servant on the move. So my friends, because the spirit is leading Philip, the Holy Spirit is leading Philip, what Philip does and what Philip says reveal to us, show to us what the Spirit's purpose is. Because after all, he is the one leading. So Philip is going to act and speak in line with what the Spirit wants and what the Spirit is doing. So what does Philip do in this passage? The Holy Spirit causes Philip to explain a certain scriptural passage to an Ethiopian. And we'll come to him in a minute. Philip explains this passage to this Ethiopian, that the Ethiopian might come to know Jesus. That was the whole thing. The spirit knew what Philip didn't know, that the Ethiopian was doing something. He was wrestling with something. But you go, and when you go, you're going to explain this passage, and this person will come to know Jesus. In this case, it happened to be an Old Testament passage. Isaiah chapter 53. And he was reading, the passage that the Ethiopian was reading was actually from verse 7 onwards. 
Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 or 1. This is a passage from verse 32 of Acts 8. This is a passage of scripture that the Enoch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before it shareth is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The Enoch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip explains an Old Testament and he preaches the gospel from the Old Testament passage. He tells him about Jesus, the good news about Jesus. Now we take the word gospel or good news for granted. But what we have called the gospel in English, good news, is actually good news. And every passage in the Old Testament is looking forward to that. Even angels were longing to look into it. And the prophets of, of old were anticipating the time that God was going to fulfill what they spoke about by the Spirit. And here we are. Philip is explaining Isaiah 53. And he is explaining that this ult is ultimately is the good news about Jesus. Now here is the thing. Whatever the servant of the Lord may be busily doing, this is what this is. I'm showing us what the Spirit's purpose is. Whatever we may be busy, I may be busy, we may be busy doing as a church, it should be rooted in the scriptures themselves. Philip will explain something of God to this Ethiopian, but it is from the scriptures themselves. It is a scripture that tells Philip what to speak. And so whatever we are busy, whatever we're doing, uh, somebody led us to pray. I think it was uh, Nanaseh who was praying for the youth and said that, that they will be rooted in the scriptures. Uh, that is what the Lord actually calls, and we will see why that is important. It has to be rooted in the scriptures themselves. Not only that, why are we rooted in the scripture? Because it is in the scriptures that we encounter Jesus. Because it will lead us to Jesus. Philip explains Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7 onwards and he proclaimed to him, he spoke to him the good news about Jesus. The Spirit of God, however you conceive of the Spirit of God, he works not apart from the Bible, not apart from what God has revealed in this book for us, in the scriptures. He works in it, fulfills it, but he does that by pointing people to Jesus. That is the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit for me. In all his work, we see him in Acts. He's always pointing people to Jesus. The Spirit works in and through the Word of God, the Bible, the written, the handed over to us from the apostles of old. So we may do all things, brothers and sisters, and you know I'm the champion of these things. We may feed the poor and support the school system and provide medical care through our missions and, and do all kinds of things. And yet, if we fail to preach this word that is revealed to us and show people from it the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ from the scriptures and call them to respond in repentance and faith, we are not following the leading of the Spirit. The Spirit of God will never work apart from what has been revealed 
in the scriptures. He's sovereign. He can do anything. But thank God he hasn't let, left us confused. He's given us the word. No wonder John in his letter would say that test every spirit. <laughs> Why was he saying that? He was saying that test every spirit according to the word and see. And why would he do that? He would do that because of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Stay there. So that as people hear Jesus proclaimed from the scriptures, people of Jerusalem, people of all Judea, people of Samaria, and people of the ends of the earth, they might come to be included amongst the people of God. And here, Luke focuses our, t our attention on one interesting man. And so the third point the Ethiopian on the move. Now, this whole drama is about God bringing this man. Now, when you hear the Ethiopian, don't think about modern-day Ethiopia. It is actually the region called the Nubia. You know that um, people, uh, archaeolo archaeologists, archaeologists, right, right, have excavated the Nubian region, and they found that a church had been there centuries back. So this is the region that you would presently call Sudan. It is the region of the Sudan, just south of Egypt. That is where this man came from. And he was an important, wealthy man. Forget about all the bogus thoughts about the typical African. This is an African man. Wealthy man. Secretary to the treasury or treasurer or whatever, the, the way the Americans put it, or the chancellor, as the British would put it, or the finance minister. And the finance minister of the Queen of Ethiopia, and the title of the Queen of Ethiopia, like we have Ochehine, Otumfuo, and all these titles we give to our chiefs and queens, she was called Kandeke. The English would say Candice, but let's pronounce it the African way. And this man, let me read a bit of him. Verse 27, so he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official, verse 27, in charge of the treasury of Kandaki, which means queen of Ethiopians. Now note this about him. This, 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 is, this is a wealthy guy. No wonder he even have either the scroll of Isaiah or portion of it, and he was reading for himself. In those days, it's not like today you go to the market and buy a Bible. The whole synagogue will have one. And so to have this guy have this, I don't know whether it was just a portion or the whole thing, but he was reading from Isaiah on his own. He was an important, wealthy guy. Yet his heart was searching. His heart was searching for God, whether or not he knew it. And so what he had done was to travel. Travel because he, not only was he wealthy, he was also deeply religious. And so he travels all the way from the heartland of Africa, this continent. And then he moves up north. And then he moves through Gaza and goes to Jerusalem. And he goes there to worship. This man is searching to travel all the way. Now, there is a possibility that he had either come into contact with Jews, Judaism, or he had heard about it. Whatever it is, it's not strange. 
It's not like somehow maybe he had a dream that go to Jerusalem. Already you know that a bit of history. On the Nile River, if anybody tells you that, oh, Christianity came into Africa yesterday, just, just don't listen to it. On the Nile River, there has always been trade, okay? From all the way from Uganda into Egypt. So there has been trade. So it's quite possible that these Jews, because they kept scattering, some of them had made their way somehow. But whatever it is, this man knew something about Jerusalem and the God of Israel. And his searching heart had led him there. He had gone to worship to find God. But there is a problem with himself. He's described as an as a eunuch, which means somebody who has been castrated. It could be that that term is just term for his position. But it is most likely that he was actually physically castrated. If that is the case, then there is a problem because he cannot enter the temple, even if he travels all the way to Jerusalem. Because Deuteronomy has said that if you are a eunuch, you cannot enter the temple. So it's a waste of time. The farthest you can go is maybe the court of the Gentiles and stay there. Wealthy, religious, but searching. We are told in um, chapter 30 to 31, he couldn't get what he sought. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And then he asked, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. After all this journey, so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Verse 34, the Enoch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? The Spirit brings along Philip because according to God's vision, the gospel has, has to reach to the ends of the earth. And Philip explains to this man, Jesus, the Messiah. He is saying to this man, we are not told exactly how he explained. We are only told that he explained. But maybe it went along this line. Drawing this man to know this Jesus and to hear the good news that Jesus obeyed the Father and died on the cross. He was silent so that he will make people, whether they are of Jerusalem or Judea or all of Samaria or to the ends of the earth, he wants to gather all his people under his wings. Maybe that was the explanation. Verse 35, then Philip began from that very scripture. He told him about the good news of Jesus. And what was that scripture? That scripture basically is saying that Jesus was not treated justly. And that Jesus died. When he was led, he was still silent. He didn't say anything. You remember that? When Pilate was asking him questions, he stood there. And if you didn't know him, you would have thought he was dumb. Why did Jesus keep quiet? Why did he remain silent? He remained silent for your sake and for my sake. Perhaps he told the, you know. Because Jesus had the authority to command the legions of the whole of heaven and to deal with his enemies. But he remained silent. Why? Because he was determined to die for you so that you will not have to die eternally. If you would turn around and put your trust in him. And so the Eno was hearing this explained to him. 
And what happened to him? Verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Verse 38. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. He's an important man. Then both Philip and the eunuch went, into, went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. Praise the Lord. I don't know whether you're following the beauty of the story. If it were today, let me put it this way. A Nubian, a Sudanese man, an important man, an African, and that region was wider. Perhaps even my ancestors directly. Who knows? I want to believe that, that my ancestors migrated from the east <laughs> to the west. I want to be part of this story. I am. Praise the Lord. He was baptized. Again, we are not told what exactly he explained to you. How did they arrive at the conclusion of baptism? We don't know, but understand this. Whatever you will conceive, baptism is an outward sign that this man has been washed clean by the Spirit in Jesus. That's what the gospel does. When we put our trust in him, the outward sign of baptism is a sign that we have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Baptism is a sign that this man has now been included. He's been included in Jesus. He's now in union with Jesus. He's died with him. He's been raised with him. Baptism also reminded these people that now you have been brought into a family. The family is a family in Jerusalem. It is also in Judea. It's all in Samaria. And it will be to the very ends of the earth. The man is baptized. And so what does this gospel do to this man? When they came out, verse 39, up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Fine. And the eunuch did not see him again. But what happened? He went on his way rejoicing. Something has taken place. Jerusalem, going there to worship, couldn't offer that. His wealth couldn't offer that. What he sought could not be provided by any other thing except Christ preached, believed, and turned to. That is what happened here. You see why the Lord did that to his church? He's got a bigger agenda. You've got to scatter. You've got to go out. The Ethiopians have to come in too. It's not the first time an African is encountering the gospel in this way. Do you remember Simon of Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross? Aha! Uh -huh. We are also part of God's agenda from day one. And so the work has to continue. The Spirit will lead Philip on. It's all about bringing people in through Christ. So look at verse 40 and then I will try to finish. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So finally, brothers and sisters, you and I on the move. We are also called to be on the move. To move in step with the Spirit. To move in line with the scriptures that we have. And to move towards Jesus. And by leading others through preaching the scriptures so that they might come to Christ. If the Spirit is leading us, we will not just be caught up 
in judging who we should approach and who we shouldn't approach in actual fact naturally perhaps philip may not have approached this important fellow and so maybe to finish off our prayer should be this lord lead us by your spirits as believers as far as the making of disciples are concerned in spite of all the strategies and the plans please would you lead us would you make the scriptures clearer to us Lord, would you show Jesus to us through your holy word so that we might faithfully point others to him? Let me pray. Our Father, we pray that this prayer that I just read will be our prayer. Led by the Spirit, the scriptures come into light for us and through the scriptures seeing your purposes fulfilled in Jesus and joyfully and faithfully calling others to follow him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.